that's the basis of the dementia connection model. It's being able to provide sensory-based techniques to tap into that limbic system that help to actually influence positive emotions and positive memories. And so Jessica and I teach upon it um, in our seminars and our certifications. And you know, for us, it's, it's kind of the helm of, of what we're trying to get out there in terms of non-pharmacy approaches. Um, but we use those same techniques, which is funny, when we're educating students too. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that you've learned to turn to, to get real information about what is going on in the nursing home world from boots on the ground for people who are actually living and breathing and do, living and breathing this experience. Hopefully everyone that goes on every podcast is living and breathing, uh, but they're actually living and breathing um, the nursing home space and whatever it is that they're doing. In today's episode, we are going to focus on dementia training. It's something that we have not touched on. Um, I don't think so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've touched on this in the past. And today's guest is, um, today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Stelter, also known as the oil doctor. Uh, She's a clinical psychologist and author of the Busy Caregiver's Guide to Advanced Alzheimer's Disease published by John Hopkins Press, with over 12 years of experience in senior living. So uh, so welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Okay. Well, it's a pleasure having you here. Um, if you don't, if you don't, and I know that we have with you um, Jessica, your business partner, Jessica Ryan, is with us as well. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank too. you. Um, we're excited to have you both with us to discuss this important subject. Before we do, I guess we'll start with you, uh, Jennifer, if you don't mind just sharing with us a little bit of maybe your shared journey, uh, but pretty much how do, you, how do you get to doing what you're doing right now so that our listeners and viewers can have a better idea of who they're listening to? Absolutely. So, you know, I know a lot of people get into the dementia care space because they have been a caregiver themselves in some respects. And my journey is a little bit different. I mean, I did um, work with my family intimately when my grandmother-in-law had Alzheimer's disease, but that's not why I got into the business. I was actually in the throes of the business uh, at that time. So I was a, a nice asset to my family here. But Really, my journey started a long time ago, even before I went you know, to college. Uh, I actually was on, I'm a clinical psychologist by trade, as you mentioned, and I went on my own mental health journey. Um, and during that mental health journey, I learned just the power of non-pharmacological approaches and coping skills and how that can really help someone in the throes of their um, mental health journey. And so for me, it was really a powerful um, realization of being able to use these skills day in and day out to really nourish myself. And so at that point, I decided I really want to get in the field and give back. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to be a psychologist. And so 
um, throughout that, you know, how half my career I spent really focusing on uh, individuals who had mental health disorders and concerns and uh, worked in all facets of different settings and provided therapy and um, all kinds of services and whatnot. And actually, when I um, then transitioned over to the senior living environment, um, that's when I really got to become more intimate with the uh, individuals who have dementia, staff members who work with them, family caregivers, um, and really were able to transition that love and passion for non-pharmacy really over to the dementia care space. And so it was uh, really it just made sense to me because I know that folks in senior living are just really grasping at straws when it comes to this disease and what to do about it. And so um, my ability to and my passion to really know that non-pharmacy really can be across the gamut when it comes to neurodiseases was what really led me into working with individuals who have dementia. And so when I transitioned to that space, I actually was working in corporate management for a major long-term care company here in the Midwest um, and had the luxury and ability to be able to work alongside folks with dementia and like I said, their caregivers and start to really apply a lot of what I've learned in the uh, psychological field to this space, but then more mm -hmm. importantly, uh, network and be able to further my knowledge and be able to apply a lot of skill sets that I had to caring for those with dementia. And that's when I was able to develop the Dementia Connection model, which is in the book that you mentioned, um, as well as a part of our institute, which we'll talk about here. Um, and then on that caregiving um, or on that journey of being able to work with folks who have dementia, I ran into Jessica Ryan, my business partner to today. Um, and so we actually, I was uh, helping design a space for a company that I was consulting with here in the Midwest. And she came knocking on my door and she said, I have another non-pharmacological intervention for you that you need to try. And it was aromatherapy. Um, and so Jess, I'll let you tell them about your journey as well and, and how we came to be too. Yeah, so my name is Jessica Ryan. I'm a biologist and educator by profession. Um, I about uh, I have a, an 18 year old son who, at three years old, started to have some neurological deficits, and uh, I did not want to use regular Western medicine, um, you know, any type of psychotropic medication for him. And so I was starting to seek out non pharmacy approaches, and I came upon essential oils and aromatherapy. Um, they became extremely beneficial. Um, and I began because of my biology mind, I wanted to learn and understand the science of it. And so I, I got, you know, very educated about that and began educating others. And of course, at one of my workshops, I ran into Dr. Stelter and um, I, I did. I, I very much am in the brain health sort of sector, if you will. And so, um, you know, with what she was doing, I really kind of relayed uh, some other approaches that she could use with her patients. Um, and she brought that in. And when it worked, we kind of started be, you know, our relationship and it grew and, and it's become this. And we've, we've, we've built a business out of trying to help folks from a non-pharmacy approach. And so that's kind of how we arrived here. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we originally developed NeuroEssence, which is our company and the, the idea that you know, neuro is our brain and essence is the essence of our well-being. And we want to be able to provide people with all the education that they need to be able to make, you know, good informed decisions about their health. And so, you know, more recently, as we've been going through this space, we've said, you know what, 
we really know that the need is in dementia care. And because my background's in dementia care, this is a no brainer. Let's go ahead and have NeuroEssence open up the Dementia Connection Institute, which opened up in January. And that's how we came to be here today with you. So, well, very, very interesting. So definitely a very, very interesting way of applying um, both of your personal experiences. You both have very strong whys as to why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, clearly very passionate about what you're doing. You're applying it to uh, a very underserved piece, a very under, un, underserved part of the healthcare system. So any, any additional um, assistance is, is always very much welcomed. Um, why that is, is beyond the scope of today's conversation. Um, but let, let's focus, let's zoom out for, for a minute about dementia care in general. So we know that a very large, uh, significant portion, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, of the seniors living in any senior setting, uh, specifically nursing homes, but really even, even assisted livings or even sometimes independent, um, they're suffering from some level of dementia. Many times the primary caregivers are going to be a spouse or a child or a friend or whoever it is that's their primary caregiver who are not trained at all in dementia. And a lot of times there's a lot of uh, complex emotional rela relationship that gets even more complex, um, especially without having the proper training. But even in a skilled nursing facility, so there's a checkbox for the mandatory dementia education. Many times it's, it's an afterthought. It might have been a 15-minute video, depending on what the specific regulations might be. Um, but I know one of, one of the things you wanted to discuss is why it is so poor and so lacking. I think, be, uh, and, and, you know, I'm just telling you from personal experience, I've seen different dementia trainings happen, you know, in person and participated in some of them. Um, I was also mandated to do that as an administrator. And it, what, what was shared was either just textbook type of things or things that completely did not actually affect the change that the staff really would very much appreciate to have the tools and skills to be able to implement them um, initially. And so if that's the case, and I have one memorable exception to that, but if that's the case, then no one's interested in anything. Like, you know, my kids always ask. Why do I have to learn this in school? When am I ever going to use it in real life? I'm like, I know you can have a calculator, but you still have to know how to do addition and subtraction. And like, but you don't know it. Okay. That's, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is that I think that that's appreciation for it being necessary and that people think that, oh, dementia training, I have it all. You know, I have it all figured out. We don't need it. It's just that if it's just regulatory compliance, then we'll do the simplest, easiest, cheapest thing to check that box. Case in point, um, I remember a particular resident in the facility where I was the administrator um, when was a very nice person, it, it, very strong physically, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of created a challenge deep into their 90s. And when, when this person would would get upset or frustrated and didn't know how to express themselves, it was dangerous to be close by. Uh, plates would go flying. I was physically hit um, just by being in the area and and others as well. And the, the knee-jerk reaction is, okay, send them out to the hospital because we can't, we can't use chemicals. We can't use chemical restraints. can't use anything, and we, we just can't deal with this person right now. 
and the person is a danger um, to everyone around it really was and did hurt other residents. So there's, there's very little to do. That's an extreme case. But my point is only, and I'll shut up in a second for you, but my point is only that it, everyone knows that it's a necessary thing. Um, th- but if it's just regulatory compliance and it's, it's something that's shallow and fake, then nobody's interested. So mm-hmm. maybe tell us how we could take this next level, whoever wants to take that question. Like, what does an effective training look like? And what does it yeah. accomplish? How is it done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're speaking to, uh, you know, the point that a lot of, especially in skilled nursing, right? It's kind of like the make me industry. If it's not a regulation, I'm not going to do it. And if it's a regulation, how can I do it with the resources that I have just because I've got other things to focus on here, right? All the other regulatory requirements from a clinical perspective or yeah. census or, you know, those kinds of things that, that matter to a administrator, executive director, a CEO, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, so you're absolutely right, right? The, the pain point is, is, is what's tangible? What can I use? Like, I know the basics of dementia, most of people in, you know, nursing home settings know that, but they don't know what t- they can use that's a tangible, tangible thing, right? And so, you know, where this kind of all stems from is, you know, a lot of times, of course, there's so much pressure on nursing homes, you know, where a lot of people want to blame the nursing home for a lot of things. And that's unfortunate, because when you talk about dementia education, right? And Jessica and I have talked about this so many times, right? Why is it not in the curriculum when nurses go to school or CNAs go to school or even psychologists, right? Or other kind, you know, PTs, OTs, why is it not in their curriculum about dementia care, right? And that's where it should start, you know, and, and that really is where they should get the basis of what is dementia, what are some basic approaches to care. So when they go to whether it's a hospital setting or they decide to go into senior living or, you know, even just a private uh, organization, they're going to run into either someone who has had dementia, someone who was just diagnosed, a family member who has it, right? There's going to be some interaction with it. So having the knowledge of it early on in their career should be the place where it should start. You know, it's unfortunate that, that it really lies on the organizations in nursing homes to be the powerhouse of education in dementia care for all of their staff. Um, Which and they're so I very think, much you know, not equipped to do, right? Right, the, exactly right. Because they have to pay lots of money to be able to hire people to come in and do these dementia trainings, or they have to invest in a lot of things because a lot of these folks in a lot of the staff are starting from square one, trying to mm-hmm. learn what is dementia, right? Um, and so I think we need to be a little more lax on the nursing home setting to say, you know, let's give them the resources and tools so they can be successful in training people with dementia because they are starting from ground zero. These folks who are coming into nursing home settings and working have no prior knowledge unless they work somewhere else before. And what you're carrying over is what they were trained on before. Right. So we have to be a little more lenient with this and we have to provide the resources and tools. So, so to that pain point that you had talked about, you know, certainly it is something where, you know, uh, there is that that idea of you know how can I make this exciting for them? How can I make this worth their while, right? And so when we talk about what goes into good dementia training, right? It should be something that is on the go and that's quick and easy, right? Because we do know that time is of essence, especially in nursing homes. There's so much that needs to be done and so much regulatory compliance that needs to be upheld that you know dementia training should be easy, right? The other thing is that it should be fun and exciting and interactive, right? Unfortunately, a lot of times when you um, have people go online to do online classes, it's just they read the screen, 
or they try to hit that button like next, next, yeah, next, no, they next, don't. next. They don't so they get there. They hit next. Right. Right. They see what right. flags, and then they go back and address it. Exactly. Yeah. How can I get the minimum amount to pass this so I can move about my day? Right. So, and that's because it's not very interesting to them, you know. Um, or it's content that they've heard before, and there's nothing new that's coming their way, right? So that's another pain point. Um, the other thing too is that um, it's you know it's hard for them to remember all that information, right? I know sometimes in some states you're required to have 16 hours of orientation before you hit the floor. That's a lot of dementia training all at once, right? 16 hours, and then they're supposed to remember it and then do it, right? And so that's difficult too. That's another pain point I know a lot of people talk about. Um, Jess, I don't know if you had anything more in terms of pain points that we see in our industry. Just frustration levels being very high with not being able to really relate with what's going on, you know, and I think there's a lot of reasons how we can engage them better, you know, by more education. And even just, I think one of the things that always kind of blew my mind was the numbers, you know, the numbers of people who are getting this disease, you know, chances are either you or someone you love is going to have it. And so we need to, to, to educate people more on that. And it might be a little bit more engaging. Yes, I have to do this for my job, but the chances of me coming across this with a loved one are very high too, right? So that that I feel is is really important in this whole, you know, it's right, just growing. Right, 100%. No, this is definitely true. I'll just uh, chime in that um, initially, I don't know if this is true, but at least this is what I've heard. Um, is that life insurance was called death insurance, which is really what it is, right? Um, but it didn't sell very well. The reason why it didn't sell very well is because people don't want to confront their mortality. But if you call it life insurance and you're focusing on the life, whether it means your own life or the life of you know your children or descendants or whoever it is, your beneficiaries, after you leave, and, and just kind of not focus, even if it's just you know semantics, just referring, just not using those words, um, it made the world of a difference, and it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. So, what you're saying is true, but uncomfortable. Nobody right. wants to think about it. Everyone can think back to people that we know who have already passed, that we have, you know, loved ones who have had this disease and we've dealt with it. But for to think that that will happen to us, and to think that will happen to anyone else in the future, I think that that's that's a hard sell. It's true. But I'm just thinking, like, talking to the CNAs, like, you know, I'm 30 years old, um, a life ahead of me. Unfortunately, as we both know, there are younger and younger people that are getting it as well. Uh, it's not only, you know, seniors um, that are getting it, but that that's definitely a hard sell. I just have to share one thing before I forget is that I, I for, for sure, in one of the buildings I was supposed to get dementia training. I know this is something that kept on getting pushed off and, you know, we, we're lucky that we weren't caught by the Department of Public Health, or maybe they didn't order my file or whatever it was, just because, you know, it was it, time, exactly what you said. I mean, when do I have time to sit in front of the computer and go through it? Or we actually had someone doing the dementia training. When, it, when, when they, meaning the edu staff educator, whoever it was in the building, finally said, okay, you got to do this. Um, it actually was a very engaging, hands-on dementia training. What they did for us in one of the buildings is that they put, like, um, it was all about Vaseline. They put Vaseline on like your glasses if you wear glasses. I think even if you don't wear glasses, they put some sort of glasses on you. Um, they definitely put something on on the doorknobs as well, and um, a few other things. Actually, you had to wear like very bulky like mittens instead of gloves. You don't have fine motor skills. And something mm -hmm. to do with sitting there. Maybe you had to sit on a wheelchair. 
and I think there were two people working together. Um, and your goal was like to go shopping, quote unquote, you know, in a room, you know, get, you know, get the milk from the fridge and, you know, do some very basic tasks. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's extremely difficult to do anything, um, to communicate anything. And, you know, it becomes like a fun game, but the point goes home in a very hands-on way that just try to see it from their perspective. What does it mean, the resident who threw that plate across the room? Well, why is that? Well, in their mind, they've been waiting for whatever, and they told you explicitly, like trying to understand the story that these are regular, normal people, like all of us, and it's right. their limitations, which is causing them to act out, act out, or just sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes they're going to retreat into themselves also, right. um, and really trying to understand it from their perspective. It was very powerful. I don't know if I actually did the exercise, but I'm sure I watched the exercise. And it was even that um, really was a big deal. Anyways, I just thought mm -hmm. that that was kind of hitting on a lot of things that you said. You know, it was relevant. It was quick. It was powerful. It was practical. Mm -hmm. It wasn't giving coping skills, but it was just giving an approach to understand in general, you know, who are the people that, you know, that are there. But um, right. I'm just curious to, if you've done anything like that. And what would you suggest mm -hmm. if someone is a staff educator and they're looking to say, okay, I'm listening to this great podcast. What should I do tomorrow? I have to do dementia training. Yeah, what definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, what you're describing is that dementia experience, right? And so that when we talk about learning about what is dementia, that's a very powerful way to engage the students in that class, right? Because they get to understand what that person with dementia is going through. They can put themselves in that person's shoes and when they themselves feel the feelings of frustration, anger, um, loneliness, or maybe anxiety because of that experience, right? When they take it off, it's that feeling of, well, you get to take it off, but people with dementia don't, right? And that's the powerful message that people are like, whoa, okay, now you've got my attention, right? So when educators are doing dementia training, they need to have that powerful moment to connect their students that gets their attention to say, this is what is really going on with this disease. So now are you ready to listen kind of a thing, right? And we, they were able to do that by using a lot of tactile kinds of interactive um, tools within the seminar itself, right? Mm -hmm. So that's definitely highly recommended in terms of that. Um, it also has to be fun and engaging, right? And so to that piece of the interactive piece that makes it fun and engaging, but that's got to carry out through the whole seminar, right? It can't just be that one piece. So if your seminar is one hour, if your seminar is an eight hour training, right? You've got to have it carry out through the whole thing where it's fun, it's interactive. Um, there might be some group assignments or one-on-one -on -one assignments where you get them to really critically think through some things that help them to think on their feet because when you're working with people with dementia and you're caring for them, you've got to be able to think on your feet. And that's what's really important. Um, and so a lot of times when we do training, we make it sensory based uh, because when you make it sensory based, right? Um, and this kind of goes back to what works also for people with dementia is when you do things that are sensory based, it's tapping into the limbic system of the brain. And with the limbic system of the brain, we have two very important organs. We have the amygdala, which is important for expression of emotion. And we have the hippocampus, which is important for memory. And so when we are engaging people from a sensory perspective, we're tapping into that limbic system, which is generating feel good emotions because they're learning, they're being educated, right? They're interested, but it's also mm -hmm. tapping into that memory. They're able to learn it more and have a greater learning advantage when it's interactive, hands-on and sensory based. So that's another tip as well. 
Um, I would also say too, that you wanna make sure that uh, there's techniques in there that allow the person to remember more, right? And so the educator needs to maybe teach, you know, learn a little bit more about what are some teaching style, like styles of teaching in order mm -hmm. to engage the, um, the uh, audience. And so I'm gonna lend it over to Jessica to talk a little more about some styles of learning that people need to really be on top of if you're gonna become an educator. Right. Well, so, you know, I, I used to teach high school biology, right? And so everybody learns differently, right? So sometimes we learn by visual, right? So there are those people who can read something, regurgitate it, they get it, they remember it, you know, but then there's hands-on learning, like you were saying, you know, to have an experience, to be able to see, smell, touch, taste it, um, you know, just to be able to ignite the senses in some way, shape or form, which sort of leads me back to that limbic system, right? And one of the things that we can do is aromatherapy. And aromatherapy goes back to science, right? Science, there's lots of clinical trials, over 20,000 clinical trials. There's different chemical constituents that help to ignite that limbic system. And so doing things, we know that if a smell is associated with, a, if, with an event, we have a 75% more chance of remembering it. So being able to touch different senses are going to be very beneficial. So lots of different learning styles can be touched on in all different parts of, of you know, a class or a course or a workshop. And so it's very important to be engaged in that way. And then of course, simply wrote, you know, being able to write something down, take notes, being able to look back at it, and then actually doing it performing it, allowing the students to, or, you know, people in the workshop to go ahead and actually use that technique right then and there. And we try to bring all of those styles of learning into our workshops and our courses and such so that we can engage everybody. And at the end of the day, once you've touched on all of those senses, you're, you walk out of there kind of more, you know, kind of, uh, oh yeah, I remember that, or I remember the way that made me feel, or the way that it, you know, kind of played out, or and and that is very important. And of course, it's empowering because I think one of the things that is really difficult as a caregiver, whether it be a family caregiver, health uh, health uh, professional, healthcare professional, is you're feeling very similar to those with dementia, right? Those frustrations, that anxiety, all of those things, because they're starting, they know when sundowning is going to occur, right? Or they know that this might tip off. As you were saying before, you had this unique experience with a larger, you know, more uh, a powerful person. And, you know, it was almost like, what do I do? You know, where are my tools? And so mm -hmm. engaging them with tools and being able to empower the caregiver is extremely important. And then when they do have that empowering, both they can help themselves as well as their patients. That's very fascinating. I mean, I do have to add an interesting anecdote. Um, I don't know if you either of you have heard of the wolf from Wall Street, uh, Jordan Belfort. Um, yeah. He has it in his training book uh, for sales. One of the things he has, I think uh, Jessica specifically will appreciate this, um, is that he wants you to be able to always be on the your peak performance whenever you really whenever you're trying to convince anybody to do anything it's not just in sales of a product or a service but whatever you want to do if you want to convince your parents to give you more ice cream you also need to do that and we don't naturally stay in that state all the time so his practical tip that he does and teaches his students is that you uh, you naturally attain that state of mind during certain times in the in a sales conversation it could be you just closed a massive deal you're feeling on top of the world 
So, and his, his suggestion is to take, I forget what it is, but some very powerful smell and inhale it, like, you know, and really absorb and, and mesh the experience with that sense of smell and do it, you know, train your body to do it over and over again. And the more times you do it, the stronger that connection is. And to be intentional about it, like a lot of people remember the smell of cookies when they were a kid or fresh linen or whatever, but, but the, those things happen. But he was saying, you use it and program your brain that way. So that now, next time when you want to get into that frame of mind, you smell it, just like you, you know, nostalgically remember back to your childhood, you can adjust yourself and get into that frame of mind so that whatever it is you need to accomplish, you're at your peak, at your peak time. I, I, I wonder if this can be done intentionally with, I'm thinking out loud now, with dementia residents who are also, you know, they're sundowning at a certain time, but if, if they can be, intentionally created and i don't fully know this is done already i have no idea but it perhaps intentionally when they're in their moments of uh you know being stable happy content um and feel present you know and using that and kind of like anchoring in those emotions is this something that you do already yes so that is actually the dementia connection model <laughs> that you're okay. describing that, that. That came out last year, um, and yeah, that, okay, that's the model that I created. <laughs> yes, I know. So serendipity. Um, yes, no. Uh, that's the basis of the dementia connection model. It's being able to provide sensory-based techniques to tap into that limbic system that help to actually influence positive emotions and positive memories. And so, Jessica and I teach upon it um, in our seminars and our certifications. And, you know, for us, it's, it's kind of the helm of, of what we're trying to get out there in terms of non-pharmacy approaches. Um, but we use mm -hmm. those same techniques, which is funny, when we're educating students too. Staff, you know, those students can be staff, it could be family caregivers, right? Um, we use those same techniques because it actually works at, at, at a actually human level. It's more powerful for people with dementia because the, the way that they're experiencing the world now is very similar to how young adolescents experience the world where they're actually using their senses to learn everything in the first five years of life. So people with dementia go through that same experience where with you and I, we can gauge whether we want to be influenced, right? Initially we're influenced, but then we can say to ourselves, I maybe don't want to feel that way. And you can make a decision to not feel that way, right? Where people mm -hmm. with dementia, they, their decision-making capabilities unfortunately are decreasing so they can't do that. But that helps us because we obviously want all interactions to be positive as, as best as possible. So yeah, to so your point that that's really the dementia connection model and, and you know what we actually preach at the Institute here, so. Well, that, that, that's actually fascinating. Um, yes. More about that in, in a minute. Um, how has, I know another point we want to touch on and I see the time is running away from us. Um, how has COVID affected uh, the way facilities are implementing dementia training? And more than that, is there anything in the actual training that should be that should be evolving or that, that has evolved from everything that we've learned, for, especially in nursing homes going through COVID? Right. I think that it definitely has changed. I think obviously a lot of training, not just dementia training, I think a lot of training were put on the back burner because nursing homes were trying to figure out how to stay in, in control of their infection control procedures, right? That yeah, was what most of public health was focusing on. What'd you say? I said, how to not die. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was that focus of, of just crisis mode, right? So understandably, a lot of stuff was put on the back burner. But 
as you know, um, nursing homes are coming up for air now and things are settling down a little bit. I know sometimes they're going in waves as well still. They're trying to figure out what does post-pandemic look like for you know, clinical services, for activities, for training, for all of these things. How do we do it now again and how do we do it well? Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, making sure that these trainings are flexible in nature, that it doesn't have to be one specific way, like meaning it doesn't have to be one seminar or only online, you know, it has to meet the different needs of your employees because you have some employees who are full-time, part-time, PRN, right? And because of that, you have to be able to adjust. So it's giving options to the employees and allowing them to feel in control of how they are getting their training, making sure that you're in compliance, all right? So you have the minimal standard of what you're gonna provide, but then say here are your two or three options to be able to get that training. And then the employee can choose, right? So it gives them more investment in it because they're actually able to choose that. So if the organization invests in an online classroom, great. They invest in some certification programs, fantastic, right? You might have your go-to trainer that comes in once every so often to provide that live training or maybe now virtual, right? Virtual trainings are, are a big thing now. So having that flexibility, I think is really important for organizations to pay attention to. So A, more they can stay in compliance, but B, more importantly, that the staff are getting the education that they need and deserve and that they want but it's really on their terms. And so that's, I think that's a, a key here with that. I think part of it too is making sure that dementia education is up to date because we now know that unfortunately COVID-19 is a precursor or risk for developing dementia. That should be in our stuff, right? That should be in our content. We should be talking about that. So just making sure it's relevant as well. So flexibility, relevancy needs to be there post pandemic. Interesting. So maybe one question before we wrap up here. And I'm trying to think, you're both thinking, you're both very passionate about what you do and you're focused directly on making the biggest impact that you can so that this disease is handled in the best way possible. And more than that, and that the seniors are not seen or the people who, who have this challenge, they're not seen for the disease, they're not defined by their disease. And there are people right. who, who can be cared for and loved and have a quality of life uh, and not just and not just be looked at as a patient. Question that I want to maybe uh, either one of you, I will give Jessica a turn if you want. Um, but the question is, I'm trying to think from an operator standpoint, even even a, like a higher level, you want to zoom out. So in other words, sometimes like a CNA could be very passionate about Betty in room 302, second bed because you know, they have a relationship there and they understand and they see the direct results of certain things that they do on, you know, on, the, on the resident. Um, but on a, a corporate level, on an ownership level, or even operations level, how would you, so for them, many times it's like, okay, dementia training, we have to do it. They're still gonna say we have to check the box. How can, what other measurables that they care about does this affect to get them on board to take this more seriously? Well, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to what we were saying before, as far as, you know, on a personal level or their own, you know, what, what they're going to look like. Uh, why do they go into this? What, what was the purpose for their choices in life? You know, why are you a CNA? Here. I, I, and I, I might not be able to answer you from a measurable standpoint. I think 
Jennifer might be better at from that perspective. But from what I see and what I understand, I think a lot of things happen because lack of education, right? And so, yes, of course, it's easy to fall in love with, you know, Estelle, who's 92, and she, you know, she comes in and she's so excited to see you. And then you get, you know, a cup thrown at you by Roman, right? And, you know, and you're like, God, I don't want to deal with him today. And how do you, how do you, you know, how do you make him as important as her? Um, yeah, that 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 might be a little bit better suited to Jennifer as far as question wise. I don't know, but yeah. that's actually a very good point as well. I just want to focus on that for a second because there there is there is a certain tendency. There are certain easy fun residents, and it, it, the, this impacts the impact that their disease might have on them is not just their inability to go through like that you know, uh, exercise described before the shopping experience or, or you know, the, the activities of daily living, it actually is going to affect how others relate to them. Meaning that, it can, of course, we're going to do the basic care, but at the end of the day, if you have a, if you have a minute of downtime, um, you know, who you, or you have a certain amount of, you know, uh, of happiness, of cheer that you're bringing into the building with you, is going to go to Roman or Estelle. And unfortunately, Many times it's going to go to Estelle because it's so much easier. And Estelle always has a good story. Might have a treat for you or whatever it is. And, wh and when the, your boss comes by, Estelle is going to be very vocal about saying how amazing you are. And Roman's just going to punch you in the face. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, which is really true. Um, yeah. yeah, but getting back to the other point, um, as far as convincing somebody, um, even uh, let's say a higher level, the director of clinical operations, let's say. So we're not, we're not going to talk about the operators right now because those are just the money-hungry people. At least that's how sometimes they're perceived. Um, and we can talk about that too. But let's even first, like someone is managing 50 nursing homes. Their job is to the clinical operations. Why is this important to them? Yeah. So I'm going to just expand upon what Jessica was saying because I think she had a good point where, you know, when you have these interactions with, uh, with you know, staff, with residents, right, a lot of times it comes down to when you have lack of education, right? And staff don't know how to interact appropriately. Yes, it's easier to go to, you know, Estelle who gives you all the, you know, gratification that you're looking for and you don't know how to deal with Roman and because you're not educated, right? And so what happens with that staff and why this is important to an operator, um, director of operations is that that staff member may decide this is not for me and quit. And we know staff retention is unbelievable right now, right? It's just a mess. And so when you have pe people who are not educated and they don't feel confident in what they're doing and they don't feel competent because they're not given the education, right? Or there's not time to be, you know, to be able to have that education, they quit, they move out, right? They decide, I'm going to do something else, all right? They either go on to another nursing home and, just say, and they think, well, the grass might be greener on the other side or the other profession altogether. I know CNA certifications right now on an annual basis when they are renewed are at an all-time low, which is unbelievable, right? So there's staff retention, and I know a director of operations is really key on that, is make sure we retain our staff, give them the tools to be successful. But I think above and beyond that, right, are clinical outcomes, right? When we train our staff to really be educated in this, and they understand the disease, and they know how to properly intervene, and the residents are doing well, and they're happy, and they're safe, and they're secure, what are you going to see? You're going to see less falls, you're gonna see more meal consumption, which means less weight loss, right? You're going to see less psychotropic use, right? So that 
PRN use where we want to make sure that's really, really low because we know public health breathing down our neck to make sure we don't have you know, overuse of PRNs, right? When you're using non-pharmacological approaches, you're speaking public health language and you're giving your staff the tools to do that through the education, right? So you're reducing those PRNs, which you're hopefully able to then help your DON because then your DONs are happy because they don't have to deal with all these clinical nightmares, falls and PRNs and that kind of stuff, right? Because then that trickles down to skin, right? When you're falling, right? Or when you're overusing PRNs and, and you're, uh, you know, very confused, you know, which can contribute to falls, then you have skin tears, and bruising and fractures and all this. And I'm, I'm using all that terminology, because that's just ringing the ears right now of, of operators right now, they, the, the idea here, the big picture is, and I know I'm really passionate about this, because I've been in the senior living space for so long. But the big picture is here is if you have really good education with your staff, and you do it consistently, that you may retain more staff. And when you retain more staff, they're able to actually implement what they're being taught. And when they implement what they're being taught, it impacts the residents in their families. And what happens not only affects, of course, the feel goodness of their interaction, but it impacts your cl clinical outcomes and your quality outcomes, which of course, inadvertently reverts to more referrals because the word mm -hmm. gets out there of how wonderful your nursing home is. You can increase your census, you increase your revenue, you can put that back into the nursing home setting and really improve that education system and of course the other clinical processes that need to be improved so amazing amazing yeah i mean I would, the only thing i would add to that and maybe add to your sales kit if it's not already there um is you're also preventing hospital readmissions right because yes. that, yes, that, that guy who was out of control is going to be section 12 out to the hospital um he won't have to be and you know mm -hmm. he'll be able to stay and you may not get them back also, right? That always happens. Why was this person sent out? Oh, the facility was not equipped to deal with them. Are they equipped to deal with them now? Let's try to send them somewhere else. And that person was a Medicare patient, and now you just lost 100 days of Medicare. That Nobody's happy with that. Um, and right. what does that tell you? Exactly. Like you said before, you know, as far as referrals are concerned, what does that do to the, the facility? Can't even keep this 92-year-old man who to them is going to look like a harmless person because they are able to restrain them in the hospital. And they, so they're not going to have the same challenges. And many times this happens all the time. I mean, you both know this is that they're, they're on all sorts of medications that stop when they come into the nursing home. And now they start, you know, surprised. They start acting out. Well, yeah, you know, they go back to the house. By us, he was fine. Like, yeah, well, by you, you had other ways of dealing with them. Um, I, I'm just noticing the time here. We went way past what, what we were going to do. Um, maybe before we sign off, uh, if you don't mind sharing with us, uh, how if someone wants to learn more about uh, about your business, where should they go, um, and why should they go there? Absolutely. So you can find us at the dementia or at dementiaconnectioninstitute.org. No, the so dementiaconnectioninstitute.org, um, and we are we open up in January, so we're really excited about that. We uh, provide live, in person, and virtual trainings. We're nationwide. Uh, we also do CE presentations and we do community presentations. Um, and we actually just were approved for our new certification programs, uh, which is the Dementia Connection Specialist, which is open to all healthcare professionals and family caregivers, and the Dementia Connection Specialist Certified Trainer for professionals if they want to learn how to train others to become DCSs, which is a great way to complement um, you know, revenue for yourself as well. So we have just been approved for that. So we actually have three dates on the books. If they go to our website, they can check out what those dates are, learn all about our certification programs. And then later on this summer, we're going to be launching our online classrooms. We talk about flexibility for your staff 
we're a one-stop shop for that. So we're really happy to bring that out, the online classroom here this summer. And then we have more for you later in 2022. So check out our website at dementiaconnectioninstitute.org. Amazing, amazing. Thank you both for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. It's been a pleasure learning, uh, first of all, hearing uh, some of the things that you've both shared on this episode and about the businesses that you're involved in. To listen to other episodes, past episodes on the podcast, you can head on over to the nursinghomepodcast.com or wherever podcasts are served. So thank you both again for joining. Uh, we you. really appreciate having you know quality guests, you know, sharing you know uh, what you did on the show. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.